Welcome to episode 235 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan Jabari Parker is gone. He is now a member of the Chicago Bulls, albeit not officially. Um, pretty I close to official. that. They, they announced it. The Bulls themselves. Yeah. Okay. Officially. A member of the Chicago Bulls. Over the past 24, 36 hours or so, it's become clear that, I mean, it's become clear that this was moving the way that we have at least expected it to move, but it's become clear that it was going to do that in a pretty rapid time frame compared to what a lot of us anticipated at some points. Um, there have been whispers of the books were going to pull the qualifying offer. Um, they ultimately did. And Jabari has come to terms on a two-year, $20 million per year deal with the Chicago Bulls, with the second year being a team option. Basically, they're paying him $20 million to prove you can be healthy, prove you're good. If that's the case, we'll be able to enter negotiations from a strong base. Uh, you'll be able to get a better deal where, worst-case scenario, if all of this goes wrong, he's at least got one more $20 million a year, which will be pretty close to matching his career earnings up until this point. So all in all, I, I think a very good deal for Jabari Parker. Uh, certainly the best he could have hoped for. Um, not only does he get his payday, but he gets to go home for it as well. It's probably better than ending up with the Kings to get the payday. I'm not sure how well things are going to turn out for Jabari with the Bulls, but considering his whole situation and the complications around it, I feel like it was about as good as it could be for him. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think the coming home, certainly, if you're, go if you're weighing offers between the Bulls and the Kings, I think the Chicago connection certainly boosts that offer a little bit more. Um, yeah, definitely making the best of a, you know, obviously very challenged situation for him to, <laughs> I mean, it was very clear as day that the Bucks did not, uh, we're not going to return or bring him back. Um, and even though it's not the guarantee or the long-term security that he was likely looking for, $20 million a year at for at least one year, maybe two, depending on what the Bulls do. Um, that's still, you know, that's a, that's a good chunk of change for him considering where he, you know, was just has been through his young career. Absolutely. Uh, the other part of this and the, and I guess the team option is what really made me maybe come to a place where I was decided on this. 
I think it's a good deal for the Bulls too because it's a massive overpay. But for them, the decision is basically: do we want cap space to do the work for us during the season, or rather than cap space, will we get a guy who can help us sell tickets? Um, get a guy who might get local fans excited. There's obviously a whole lot of things that may come to pass to, you know, make that less than ideal or not quite meet, meet their expectations in the long run. But they're a team in just, you know, okay, could this young guy be good still? If so, he may be worth a look for us. Doesn't mean they're not going to be maybe the worst defensive team ever um, with the collection of guys they've put together. It doesn't mean that they are not setting themselves up for the most catastrophically heartbreaking year in terms of injuries. But I think from their position as well, considering they can get their cap space back out of it next summer, if it doesn't work out, there's at least the promise of, hey, rather than just fans being able to say, oh, great, we've got all this cap space. Maybe we get a trade mid-season, which well, where they're at was always going to be a trade really to absorb salary and maybe get some assets back in return. Instead, they're going to look at it and say, okay, let's take a look at a player who clearly has had one or the other, depending on your viewpoint. And those view, those viewpoints are loud, they're strong, and they're very much different. But depending where you fall on that, he's worth a flyer of sorts. And at that rate, he's going to energize the, energize the fan base more than most other options would so we've touched on jabari we've touched on the bulls and now we come to the all-important part jordan and that is the books um there's plenty of this we don't need to talk about because we've discussed it at length not just in the last couple of weeks but really the last few months um it's been stretching out further than that you and i both i think it's fair to say have stood as ardent supporters and believers in Jabari over the course of his tenure with the books. But we have fallen off that train very significantly over the last few months since his return, since his recovery, as things have progressed with the books, as things have changed with the books, the shape of their roster, the shape of their coaching staff, their overall picture. And with all of that, it just seemed less and less likely that there was a meaningful spot for Jabari it was the kind of place that was going to bring out the best in him, the kind of situation that could bring out the best in him. And more than anything else, that he was a risk worth taking. I think that that's the biggest element of this for the books. What I have certainly reiterated lots of times is Jabari, to me, was the one risk that could really sink this whole ship. He was the, the most immediate decision they were facing, where... There are lots of small things that could ultimately be pointed to as, oh, you know, because of this deal and this deal and this deal and this deal, Yanis walks away in 2021. What the books don't have right now is one just, you know, anchor tied around their neck that just finishes the thing off and leaves them in a position of two to three years of just gloom about the inevitable and really makes the whole experience miserable for everyone, leave something that could be talked about um, in very disparaging fashion for the next 20 or 30 years and Jabari's contract had that potential because for all of the potential that he may have as a player we have a player who I mean it's 50-50 just if we're to play the percentages on his career so far it's 50-50 to whether he'll get through a season healthy you now don't have an opening at his best position his skill set doesn't 
necessarily fit what you've been doing as a team and doesn't remotely fit what your new coach is coming to bring. And beyond that, he's a player who has voiced growing discontent in the locker room, voiced growing uncertainty or, I don't know, almost shaken confidence in his own right. Of course, there's the famous, why do you want to talk to the bum comment? There's everything else that came around that. The way his shoulders seemed to slump and he got down on himself later in the year and it became you know, less than ideal for a team looking to push upward. And with all of that, I didn't think he should come back and he certainly shouldn't have come back at a deal near this price. Um, the one thing that I think is maybe the most widespread on social media from books fans who are disappointed in Jerry's departure today is this idea of uh, Matthew Della Vadova, Tony Snell, John Henson, um, Mirza. <laughs> Mirza, even Urson and Brook Lopez coming this summer. All of these kind of players cost the books Jabari Parker. If they hadn't made those bad deals, they'd be taking the flyer, they'd be signing them. I don't think that's true, and we have no reason to believe that's true. No. We've been saying this since free agency opened. We were saying beforehand that we, did, we thought this would be the case, but since free agency opened, it's been apparent that they didn't want him. He wasn't part of their plans. Again, you know, why did they sign Ursan and Isova at 12.01? Because they had a plan in place that involved a player like that, what he can offer on both ends of the floor, not Jabari Parker, not the kind of price Jabari was going to bring, not the kind of baggage Jabari was going to bring to the locker room, not the kind of risk Jabari was going to bring. They don't need all of that stuff. Could they do with the dream version of Jabari Parker? Would the Paul Pierce, Carmelo Anthony type that, I mean, at this point seems ridiculous to even talk about with everything that's come along since he was drafted. But would that type of player be someone who could push the books over the edge at some point in the future? May they end up needing a player like that at some point? Absolutely, yes. The problem when the conversation boils down to that is it's devoid of context. And we have four years worth of context to to prove that maybe Jabari can't be that guy anywhere, but he certainly can't be that guy with the books. He he can't. The situation had gone to a place where it just didn't seem realistic for it to be rescued, and beyond realistic, it didn't seem worthwhile. Because again, if you pay that contract, and Yanis is looking at you two years from now as Jabari has torn his ACL for a third time, isn't able to play, and is taking up. 16% of your salary bill going right up to the tax. I mean, if you were a tax team just over the tax, the kind of money he's paid would still be one-sixth of your, your cap bill. If that's what he's taking up, Giannis going to look and be like, really? You thought it was a good idea to pay the guy who'd already torn his ACL twice, didn't fit, was the biggest defensive liability on the team. You thought it was a good idea to bring him back and not give us any more flexibility? I mean... I think there's been plenty of people who've pointed it out, but for as much as collectively people like us, books fans more generally, moan, complain about bad contracts that are signed, signing Jabari Parker with everything that's you know in play here to a long-term deal, to a, a single-year deal, a two-year deal with a team option at the kind of money he signed in Chicago for just could have set this current version of the team on the road to ruin. 
And that is the last thing they are looking to do, having just opened a new arena. Um, and it's the last thing they should be looking to do at any time. If the books didn't have Yanis and they were in a situation where they were still just trying to find the guy, you don't let your Barry go and you take that risk because the worst case scenario is you're still bad. You'll have more chances to find that guy elsewhere in the draft. If he comes good, then you can come out the other side of that in a better position. They're not in that spot. They have got the guy. They haven't just got the guy. They've got a once in a generation guy. They've got a player who the franchise is unlikely to see the likes of for 20, maybe 50 years. They can't waste that and risk that on all of the things that are already proven to be problematic in terms of Jabari with the books. So as much as I personally really like Jabari. I like Jabari the player when he's healthy. Some of the things he can do offensively, he's fun to watch. I like Jabari the guy. I like so many of the things he said about Milwaukee. He said about the books, things he's done in the community, things he's spoken about in a, I guess, a more uh, social or at times political sense. None of that matters. <laughs> None of that matters. None of that can be the reason why you signed the check at the end of the day. And for me, this was a big, big win for the books and i mean that it was it was a head decision over heart decision because that was you know that's obviously a lot of the outcry about you know and i'm not i think what's getting lost in all this is that there are very different angles that you could take with this and you know we talked about like the signing the the signing overpays to role players or the continuing string of draft picks that the bucks haven't hit on since drafting Giannis now um, add Jabari to that list too. Um, I think what's getting lost in this too, another thing um, with the whole, you know, obviously everything is very fresh right now, but this didn't come out of nowhere. It, and let's not act like the Bucks did not ha- show a willingness to re-sign Jabari. There were negotiations. They had to look out for their best interest because he was coming off his second ACL tear. We all know how the, we talked about, you know, time and time again about how he, seemingly harbored resentment about not getting a deal done during rookie extension talks. Um, and th- along the way, uh, it, it can be, you can look at it over the four years, you can look at it, whatever. But this season, something t- ch- changed internally. And a lot of it was brought out into the open from Jabari himself. We saw his, we've heard public comments, we've heard weird you know, the radio interview with uh, uh, 105.7 The Fan for the Milwaukee Basketball Hour. I mean, there was – I'm certain, and Jabari – we joked about it. Jabari will say it himself when it – someday, he said. Oh, but, he told us someday, and it yeah. may well be now, you know? Yeah, but that's – there's – it's it was all a culmination of all this strife with all the friction with the Jason Kidd, uh, you know, era and all this stuff. There isn't one factor here. There isn't one decision. There isn't one whatever. Um, it again, I've said this before, but there are no winners here. The Bucks lose out on, you know, not having their second overall pick uh, hit. They don't. He's not on the team anymore after four years. No one could have thought saw that coming, um, you know, four years ago. But there's just to single out any one, you know, angle or anything like that, like you said, it's just devoid of context and everything has to be taken into consideration. And that's really hard to do when someone like Jabari, someone, what he represents in terms of, you know, 
being a very good guy off the courts and all this stuff. And he's, you know, he's done so much more for uh, the Bucks in terms of just, you know, the community of Milwaukee and all this stuff that it's really hard to do if depending, even if you are the most more ardent anti-Jabari person, but when it comes to something like this with the, where the Bucks are at the, at this stage and the fact that every move, I know that a lot of people are talking about this that maybe aren't, you know, as connected with the Bucks uh, as we are, you know what I mean? They aren't Bucks fans or anything like that. Just ever if the fact that the Bucks committed to a signing, uh, you know, twelve oh one or whatever you want to call it, East Coast time, it, they just he was not in their plans. He was but not in their plans from the beginning. That's the thing because until this came around, that's been the big discussion from um, generally people who've been very much opposed to those moves. Has been if the Bucks didn't sign Ursan at twelve oh one, this is what they could have done. My point all along is. They did that because he was their guy and that was the plan. And the reason that was the plan was because they were moving on. It's been framed now as, oh, the books. Yeah, this is where they, they go went, as high as this. They were, they were capping out what they could offer him. No, they didn't care. They didn't no. care. They were happy to move on. I feel like the qualifying offer was a courtesy because not being offered the qualifying offer is... That doesn't happen, right? That it like on no. a player of Jabari status, that doesn't happen. Look at Julius Randle, right? I mean, that is unusual. I know he's someone we could talk in a different sense because if you compare what yeah. he's got paid to Jabari, it's it's insane, it's completely crazy. But there was an element of this which was okay, we're gonna do right, and they have done right. That's you know, from both sides, they've done everything in their um power to make it known publicly that you know. We've done right by him. He's done right by us. This is very amicable in our parting, although how amicable it really is, I don't know. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, as an aside, I was surprised that there were statements in <laughs> that press release from Jabari and his agent. That was kind of shocking to me. It was surprising. But, I mean, that fits in line with something I tweeted to them the night just before really the meaningful rumors broke and that you know recent events his uh his recent pickup game um the start of rumors coming out that felt like a pr thing to me i'm not saying it wasn't genuine i'm not saying he didn't just go and enjoy doing that as well but it all yeah. seemed very conveniently timed. It was a very ceremonial right thing. and that's okay all of that is you know he's parting on good terms and i do believe he does love the city but there is a, a real disconnect between a lot of the elements of, you know, oh, well, they did this to not have the space. They didn't have the space because they did this. They just didn't want them. It's that simple. Well, um, I think the other thing, sorry to kind of cross again, but like the whole public perception of this, because obviously it's you know really spilled out on Twitter and stuff like that. And everybody has a right to do that. I know a lot of people are just, you know, making fun of people that are, you know, kind of going, uh, you know, letting their emotions out about this, about Jabari leaving, but the Bucks paid themselves and they're, they're taking the bad guy role there. It's been no noted explicitly that they had no interest in bringing him back. So it's very easy for everybody to point fingers at the Bucks for saying, Oh, you don't want Jabari back. That's why it, again, why it goes back to me saying this is a head over heart decision that, they they're very take, publicly taking the stance and they're bearing the brunt of what's the Christine. last decision in that mold that you can think of because i think this is a major change for the books a major change oh man i don't know 
I don't know. I really they, don't they know. Haven't, they haven't come across as the bad guys a lot. It's in fact, it's generally been the opposite. I mean, there was I mean of, look, like, we can we could debate that because they they didn't stand in the way. They didn't make a go through. You know, the waiting period of how long to match. They they were sent to their qualify offer. Think about well, a couple years ago where, uh, you know, they deal Zaza Pachulia and Jared Dudley, and Dudley for, yeah. these, for these protected picks that are never going to convey, you know, based on the teams that they were dealing them out. And a lot of it was done in good faith. That was another term that was used in this press release. Yeah. And it didn't, you know, those are meaningful contributors that they just gave away for nothing in the act of good faith. And they can, you can use that word and saying like, oh, we're doing the best for the Jabari. But again, you're also outweighing that with we have no interest in wanting to bring it back. Like that's just again, yeah. They are they're wearing the black hat, so to speak. I think, and uh, this is a little bit more than just me speculating. I have there's some pretty good authority, but the way the books felt a few months ago on Jabari Parker was very different. The way the books felt before the playoffs and really before all of the strangers like we kind of we had our head in our hands and we were kind of laughing about this while it was happening just because there were so many strange moments with Jabari over the last uh, you're talking near the last two weeks of the regular season and into the playoffs just so much seemed to happen he seemed to say so much that was all a little bit strange but that combined with his play flip the whole thing on its head okay that's yeah. one element the other element is they hired a new coach they hired a coach who i mean everyone has kind of been tracking this and noting it in a way that felt unnecessary because it was simple sure he didn't mention jabari in any interview because he didn't want them and the whole organization had kind of decided from that point were, we're better yeah. going in a different direction we're better finding different types of players to play in whatever system we want to build that's the second thing there are other things I've heard, and if they're true, they will come to pass, and everyone will then at that point say, you know what, this isn't, this isn't that bad. But I think there have been a variety of factors in a short period of time yep. that, that even changed, well, is this worth the risk? And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. We both have, if, if someone goes back and listens to a podcast after Jabari returns, the things Jordan and I say about it, it's not long ago. The tone is going to be very different then to a, what it's been for the last eight weeks. Yes. Very different. And it's because there were so many, I guess, little speed bumps, red flags along the way, that it all started to feel like one incredibly big thing that couldn't be overcome. I mean, just the bizarre nature of that post-practice availability he gave in between games of the playoffs when you know, the, the... rest... Go on. The article with Tim Bontemps, there was like a, a very... The article Tim Bontemps, the radio appearance he did where he gave his I wish comment in regard to extension talks, which I mean, even that seems pretty ridiculous now considering what he was, what he has got paid. I, d I don't know. There were just so many of those things. And then there was also the playoffs and we have talked about this in the past, but to touch on it again, Jabari gave about a game and a half of the very best we've seen out of Jabari and of the kind of play that would leave you with optimism for what he could bring to the team and how maybe he could play in a different role. And then it disappeared. And it wasn't present at all before that. And while that's exciting at the time and it's easy to say, oh, well, that's what he can do. 
You'd say that and you believe it if it was a uh, DJ Wilson who after their second year gave you that. At the point Jabari was at to be saying, oh look, that's what he can be. That doesn't cut it. Because even aside from injuries, you're then left with the question of, okay, if this is what he can be, why is he not this guy more often? Why did it take two games before he got this kind of attitude, this kind of mentality going in the playoffs? And then why did it disappear again after that? And I think all of that is equally telling. It's not just the bad play, and there was certainly some really bad play in the playoffs for him too, but there was also the good play because you're then left to ask, okay, what are the circumstances that brought this about? Um, how do we recreate this? Why doesn't it happen any other time? And the only thing that really changed was Jabari came out with those statements to the media and he had clearly engaged something of his own accord. He had a major chip on his shoulder and that chip wasn't really to the benefit of the books. I mean, it worked that way in those games, but at that point, it really seems like he was in, okay, let's go out and get mine mode. You know, let's let's go out and I'm not talking about points. I'm talking about go out and get mine in terms of money. You know, self-interest. Right. It was let's show teams this is what I can be and show that the books are wrong and create this narrative that you know, oh, they've been holding me back. I've been waiting. I've been waiting two years. You know, or whatever that quote was, and that was the one that really irked me. I think my angriest Twitter ranting may have followed that. And for a player who, in so many ways, brought great joy, was so likable, and seemed like a player who was destined to be a beacon of the book's future, um, seemed like he would have to be key to any chance of success. He did a lot of damage himself. A lot. And I think that is the part of this that, as much as I understand everyone who really loves Jabari Parker, I mean, we're among them, and it got to a point where, like, you can't... There's lots of stuff you just can't defend here. You know, we've got the injury things, which no one can debate his injury history, the health concerns. And that may ultimately end up being even worse than we can imagine in the future. But you've got that on one side. Then you've also got, okay, he's saying some things at ill-advised times that are not necessarily showing he's all in on the team. He's holding these gripes against the team. I mean, the other element of that that's kind of been frequently put out there in the last few weeks as discussion center to, well, what's going to happen with him? What are the books going to do? Is, well, maybe Bud can fix him. Why wouldn't you bring him back and see with a different coach? Because he's been under Jason Kidd and the damage that's likely done. That part is true. Jason Kidd, I have no doubt, has not done Jabari Parker's career any good. Nope. (laughs) That's happened, though. You can't change that. They could have changed it maybe a year earlier and done something to help that. But Jabari has picked up a lot of bad habits or not being able to overcome his existing bad habits under kids' tenure. And for as much as Bud and his coaching staff have worked wonders in Atlanta, um, but even himself as an assistant in San Antonio, the players that they have thrived, excelled in developing have been the complete opposite of Jabari Parker. They have been under the radar, underachieving role players who are brought up to a level above that. They're they're taught how to buy into a system and engage in that kind of role. Jabari doesn't want to be that kind of role player. Jabari wants a team. He wants to be the guy. That's what he's always been. 
Um, that's not his fault that he wants to be that. If you've been the guy all through high school, if you're talked about as a potential, you know, next LeBron James, which was a discussion around Jabari at one stage, you're a top-ranked prospect the whole way through. You get to college, you go as the second overall pick in the draft. You could probably have been the first overall pick in the draft if you wanted to. And um, this is something Jordan and I discussed privately recently. Um, I've just recently finished reading uh, Brian Windhorse and Dave McManaman's book on the Cavs, Return of the King, I believe, um, on the Cavs championship winning season. And there was one note in there on Jabari's workout, which I'm sure a lot of books fans remember. There was the talk at the time of him having tanked his workout with the Cavs because he wanted to go to the books. He wanted to be closer to Chicago. The interesting thing in reading the quotes on that workout in hindsight is they were the kind of things that we would now just say they're Jabari's problems where back then it was talked as, you know, Oh, he tanked that workout. There was issues about strategic positioning. Right. And that's, it says so much about what's happened in the time since that I was reading that book. And all these years later and you're going, what if he didn't tank the workout and the Cavs saw the real Jabari? What if that was the case? Um, if they saw the guy that for all of the bursts of talent, the bursts disengage, of not the real Jabari, but the disengaged Jabari. Is that, that not the saw. real Jabari? Well, that's true. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, I think that's great. We're, we're, <laughs> st- we're still at a question about a point where that's a question right now, which when you're coming into a second contract and you're talking the kind of money Jabari ultimately got, that's not a winning situation for a team. You're not going to make a good deal out of that spot. And, Coming back to what was a good deal for the books? If Jabari had stayed, what would a good deal for the books be? I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe a deal years-wise structured like the Bulls deal, but where they were paying him $8 million a year, $10 million? That was probably still too much. I wouldn't have been looking to do it. That's probably as close you could get to being a good deal for the books. And that wouldn't have been a good deal for Jabari. And if you had brought him back on that, and you could have, let's not forget, and this is something that I recall you saying a couple of times, but basically all it would take is one team. And there certainly wasn't a large market for Jabari. We don't Mm. really know that there was more than one team. I mean, the rumblings on the Kings have come from certain places that would make me say, we don't know if there was more than the Bulls. The Bulls may have been essentially bidding against the books um not fully understanding that the books weren't even bidding if that's the scenario though you know the bulls decide to do something else if they decide to take a player in in a trade and take some assets it might just take a decision like that and jabari has no market and he's signing for less than half of what he did that might have been the good deal a lot of people held out hope for with the books but Jabari would come back to satisfy that the same team that didn't extend him last year now didn't pay him what he feels like he's worth now. We're going to give him a role that he felt was inferior to his abilities. Um, and he would just be looking forward to, okay, let's get through this year and let's get out of this place. You know, it would really sour any good feeling between him and the books and possibly even between him and the fans then if there was a year of that to go with. There was no winning in this situation. And... I think the the other thing that we haven't touched on yet, but I saw Mark Stein of the New York Times, who I generally um, respect hugely. He, He made this note about, you know, 
the Bucks losing former second overall pick for nothing. Uh, highlighting Jabari as someone the Bucks frequently batted away any kind of queries about trades. They reiterated that he was a core part of their future. When was the time the Bucks could and should have traded Jabari Parker? When was it? Because it wasn't when he was out injured with a torn ACL. Um, was it in the in-between times? Was it after the first torn ACL when he came back? Because to me, that would have been too soon for the Bucks to give up on him. And when he comes back after the second one, you've got two and a half months between then and the end of the season. You've got even less. Well, what did he have? Ten days before the trade deadline? Oh, yeah. There was... No, I think when he returned, it was a week. It was a week before this year. So he returns with a week to the trade deadline. <laughs> the only reason any team should look to give up something and trade for him is what? It's because they want him around this summer. They want to hold his bird rights to give him a five-year deal. No one wants to give that guy that deal. There was no, there was no need for anyone to want his bird rights. A team like the Bulls. The Bulls go and get him now. They were his market. So if they were the only team, I mean, you can't criticize him for trading when he got to this stage where not a lot of teams had cap space. None of them had thought about him. There was no real rumblings of anyone hoping to make a sign and trade for Jabari, something that may have been less obvious. Who was going to trade from at that point? Who was trading from when he was injured? When was this magical trade ever going to happen i think the only time jabari could have been traded was at a point where it would have been that very dave, those dave mullard rumors oh god <laughs> rumors um the only time it would have been valid to say oh you know maybe they could have traded him then that would have been a time where we could have genuinely kind of been irked at that and said this is too soon because he would only have had one acl tear then who knows, maybe things are different if that happens, but you're talking about a situation where when do you trade him? Also, the sign and trade, the, the criticism of the books for not getting a sign and trade out of the bulls. What is this sign and trade and how does it work? Do people understand the salary implications of what the books have to take back for a guy who is being traded on a $20 million deal? Seriously, Jordan, because this was everywhere I today. I've just left everywhere. <laughs> so what the books have to take back to do that would basically put them into the tax. And yeah. what have the Bulls got to make that happen? You're taking Robin Lopez as well to add to Brooke and Henson and Ton and Zeller and potentially Ursan and Yanis. You want to have seven centers? You might, Jordan. I might. We know I enjoy like the big guys. Hands. But... <laughs> Like, what is the sign and trade? I I wish that there could have been a sign and trade where they don't renounce David Nwaba and you just go, oh, we'll take David Nwaba and you take Jabari Parker. That works in a salary perspective for both teams, but the rules with sign and trade would mean the Bulls would have to send more outgoing salary than that. It wasn't in play. It wasn't a reality. There wasn't a sign and trade deal with the Bulls where people would have gone, you know, John Horst did a good one there. You know, he really, he made a great deal to move on from Jabari Parker. And for as much as everything, as much as everything that could be thrown at them, I don't know where the winning situation was with that. Jabari's mm. entire tenure with the books has been super weird. 
everything about it. It goes to any potential opportunity to move them on. Anytime they may have thought of that. The book's team has evolved so much since then. We've gone through, though, Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe is going to change everything. You know, he's a marquee free agent signing. Who needs Dudley and, and Inazola and Petulia? Yeah, Marlon Wayans. Um, Greg Monroe is the key to this. Two, oh no, Greg Monroe is just a bit of filler who's going to go to bring Eric Bledsoe to, to work. That we're now at a point where we're like, yeah, Eric Bledsoe could be traded this summer. Wouldn't be yep. surprising. <laughs> it, I mean, they're just things that happened in Jabari's tenure, not even the things directly tied to him, which are even weirder. So uh, for all of the talk of missed opportunities, and I believe there are probably other people who made this observation, um, but I saw Josh Eberly on Twitter made this point. Um, is it better to be like the books and let your second overall pick walk for nothing? Or to be the Timberwolves and pay Andrew Wiggins what he got paid from that draft, where one year after being paid that, still a very young player, without the injury problems Jabari has even, everyone talks about that as being like a noose around their neck. It's, you know, how are they going to get out from this? No one's going to want that contract. They've got a young player, a first overall pick, tied down for what should be his best years, and everyone's going to like, oh, that's, that's going to be what could lose them. Jimmy Butler, maybe that's what someday pushes Carl Anthony Towns out the door. It's like, what do you want to do? I think when you've already got Giannis, the option of, yeah, let's make the guy who doesn't defend well, doesn't fit, has a really troubling injury history. Let's allow him to walk, giving us the option to add a player who doesn't have those issues to Giannis before he hits free agency. That's a better option. <laughs> That's, I, don't, I don't know why I have to justify that. That's so obviously the better option than tying your future up in one of the most high-risk players in the NBA right now, one of the most uncertain players in the NBA. What is Jabari Parker's future? How long is he in the league? Is he an all-star or is he out of the league and retired in two years? Both things are actually possible, and that's a level of variance that doesn't go well with, you know, oh, we're a team who wants to challenge for a title in the next couple of years. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, there. I don't know. Th- this may be off track, but I mean, we saw like the Jazz, like, the Jazz committed to Dante Exum, even though his four years he's been very snake bitten, and that's a guy that you know didn't have the proven track record as much as Jabari did. But you know, it's it's again everything's just compounded on one one another, and a lot of it is not Jabari's fault. It's just the, how the situation has been dictated. Um, but everything adds up. You know, there's at some point there was a a line drawn in the sand. You can, I don't know when exactly it was, but it's certainly over the last, you know, several months that just something changed and it was pretty laid out to bear. And it it goes even, I mean, the traces of this go way back. Obviously, I know we talked about the, you know, his comments last year, midway through the, after like a magic game, and he was talking about locker room. I mean, they go he, back to um, the benching. The benching uh, with, with Michael Carter Williams. Game. They could go back further to moments that we don't have the we're able to point to how this impacted Jabari, but we're certainly able to talk about how it just messed everything up, which is kids saying, who's the best player here? Yeah. <laughs> who's yeah. the best player? Breaking a, breaking a pool cue in half, Dark Knight style. And That's exactly what happened. <laughs> who's the best player here? Um, yeah, I mean... There's just so many things that just, I mean, it's insane. Like, again, 
no one, unless if you're you know a crazed, you know depressed Bucks fan that is committed to this team through thick and thin, and can remember these things that you shouldn't bother memory, uh, you know, to keep your health sane and or to to keep yourself sane. Um, you wouldn't. You wouldn't get it. You I, don't understand. It's basically you're only short of screaming. You don't understand into the microphone. <laughs> and I've been, I've been trying to make this point for a while because I, I do think there are a lot of smart people who are like really, they, they might have a handle on Jabari the player. They might have a handle on the book situation, but they don't have a feel for all of the things that complicate and blur everything in between. Yeah, and you just can't. You can't just talk about Jabari Parker as. Oh, the books let a former second overall pick go. Like it's, it's just not. disingenuous. It's not so, uh, it's not the conversation anyone should be having. You can't talk about, oh, he's you know, that's they they let a really high potential star go. It's like, yeah, they also let go a guy who could potentially see his career end due to a, another tragic knee injury in the next couple of years, or could really be disruptive in the locker room. And that's not to do with his character, it's just to do with a lot of years of tension bubbling under the surface. Like, I think Jabari can still be good if he can still be healthy. I think he can still be really good in the NBA. And I have no problem with that. And not at any time will I be looking and saying, oh, if the Bucks had just given him the $20 million. Because I don't think he could ever do with the Bucks what he may have the chance to do elsewhere. Now, at the small forward with whatever the hell the Bulls are going to do, but that's the thing. That's, that's, not, that's another. That's not the option. I think that's going to bring that uh-huh. out in them. But I do think there probably is somewhere in the NBA, some team, some role that could have done that. If it was the Pacers, for example, who people talked about at one point and had room, if they had Oladipo, but you know they want to move on from Tad Young. They had Miles Turner as someone who could maybe protect inside. He had, he was mobile. He was active. Maybe Jabari could play the four and be a kind of this kind of scoring for that everyone always wanted him to be. Maybe he can be really good. I think he probably can be, but that opportunity was never there for him in Milwaukee. And that's not a knock on the books. That's because they found a better player. Like the luxury is if you find a better player, you can then move on from another. The ideal is sure you trade them, you get other assets because we've already laid out. I mean, when do you trade Jabari? When was the time where there were optimal assets you could get back for Jabari beyond that can anyone give me an example of a real and I'm talking about real reporters here a real reported trade that Jabari Parker was involved in that the book said no no you can't have Jabari I don't think there is one and that's because I don't think it ever got serious and that's because there was never a deal at the time that said yeah the book should give up on this or there was never anyone else willing enough to put a high price on taking on the risk Sorry, you were gonna when I mentioned the small forward and the bulls. You had a point to make there. Well, obviously, I don't. I, I completely agree with you know what you have said, and a lot of people have said. That. I don't think that's that's just another thing that yet he's just. It, there's just so many different factors that just kind of mitigate what is where he is at this point in his career. But I don't think it's certainly conducive for him to you know uh, eventually become this all star player and realize something that you know, the Bucks missed out on or something like that. And that's tragic. That's just unfortunate. That's mm-hmm. how everything's gone on. But for a team like the Bulls that can, they, I mean, if you really think about this, if Jabari doesn't pan out, which, you know, certainly in play, they just go back to the draft. They go back to the draft and draft a player of 
Jabari's caliber before all these injuries, before everything happened that was set in motion the last four years. Worst case scenario is he makes them bad and they get a draft pick. Exactly. Yeah. That's they, and that's why I think the deal works for them. I don't want to pay that amount, but the Bulls were one of only three franchises who had the luxury of being able to pay that amount without it being a cost or a risk to them. And, really. then, and then two after Thursday night, because the Hawks traded for Jeremy Lin for, you know, pennies and peas, whatever. That's that was a strange trade. Anyway, for the Bucks, they there was not there wasn't that blank slate. There are stakes attached to bringing Jabari back, and we already saw what his role would have likely been last year. And I know we talked about this in most recently and talked about how the dysfunction on the court or you know how just crazy things were this season. But that was still a there was a template there for how he would play in the future that he would be this kind of six man super sub role, whatever you want to call it. And he clearly did not buy into that. And that was, again, that's another thing that you kind of have to bring in there that the role that he was, that he may have with the bulls and may kind of rejuvenate his career. That just wasn't going to happen Milwaukee. If he was going to come back as sorry as that may be, it just wasn't there for him. There's also a difference in approach for the books that may have as much to do with Giannis and Chris Middleton as it does with Jabari, that means, you know, you had to move him on. The deals we've seen this summer, and now, look, they've, they've got room to bring... How many how many roster spots are we up to? Are we 13, 14? 13 now with Jabari. 13, but obviously, you know, Jennings and Zeller. Uh, 14. 14. I'm going to well, go... Be, they could be non They're non guaranteed. so would it be like 12? Or 11. Oh, are they included in the 13? No, <clears> I think right. so. We should have a better handle on this, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, they have minimum deals left. Yep. They could still get some good players, get some solid guys on one year deals. They already have done good business, in my opinion, anyway. I know that's not everyone's opinion. Um, but Ursan and Brook Lopez, what the addition of those two guys does is it gives them a bench. It gives them depth. That is very different to the approach they were set up to have last year, which was we want a really incredibly top-end six, seven guys, but our roster doesn't go beyond that. An injury struck, inconsistency struck, and they were made to pay for that lack of depth in the playoffs. Now they're in a different spot. They're developing Sterling Brown, who had... You know, good play last season has looked pretty good in summer league. They've brought in Ursan, they brought in Brooke Lopez, they've already got Brogdon, Bledsoe, at least for another year, with Giannis, Middleton, Ton showed signs of the playoffs. Henson is still there. Snell, whatever way you want to do this, Delhi is still there. No matter what you think of these contracts, the books now have avenues to playing, you know, a full second unit that's possible. And I think we'll see more of that. I think we'll see the load being lifted off Giannis and Middleton and the cost of moving on from someone like Jabari, who's this really featured bench piece, is you get multiple bench guys to improve your depth all around. And I think from what they saw last year, that was more important. They weren't they weren't being found out because they were lacking the one guy. The books were getting found out because they were stretching their superstars too far. And beyond that, there was just nothing. And I, I think the moves they've made so far this summer have remedied that about as well as they can. I mean, they're not perfect, but I think 
overall there's there's a, a coherent summer. vision with what they've done this offseason. It's like you pull a string in Jordan's back and he says there's a coherent vision of what they've done I, this offseason. It's, it. <laughs> it's his it's his line, it's his catchphrase, and it's not wrong. You can easily plot out and see what they're doing, whether it ends up working or doesn't. I mean, well, that's called seeing the future. And if you can do that, you know, you should do something with that skill. It's cool, it's, it's worth putting to use. Maybe get on the phone to the books. Maybe you could be books general manager if you could see the future. But there is something there to getting a more even, <laughs> a more even spread, being a more reliable team from top to bottom, being a team that can buy in and fit in a system where it's less personnel driven beyond your obvious star guys. Because I don't think I don't think you get to the top if you have to really focus things in specific ways to get the best out of your fourth and fifth guys. If they can't buy into a team concept, I think that's a problem. Yeah. And Jabari fit that bill. He he wasn't a top two guy in this team. May not be a top two guy in any team. There's so many variables to go into that. But with that, did he fit the team concept they're going to? No, he didn't. So here we are. Do you think this is a deal that people are going to get over relatively quickly when the season starts up and things start playing? Do you expect this to look like a good deal sooner rather than later? Or is it something that could take time? What What is your vision for... I'm asking you to now do the whole future scene thing. But what is your... What is your vision for what's going to happen with the books and what's going to happen in Jabari and where it leaves? I mean, it, it feels like a move that's going to be divisive for years to come. And even if it's obvious to most, there will still be some who will go on and on and on about it every time the books lose a random game on a Wednesday in January. But what way do you see this panning out in the next one to two years? Are we going to be at a point where the books are so much improved that people will get over it? Are they going to be lacking a little something and Jabari looking good in Chicago and all of a sudden it's all anyone ever wants to talk about? I mean, that's the question. I know, that's why I asked it. (laughs) What comes first is that the Bucks, you know, getting out of that middle class tier and eventually, you know, becoming competitor, you know, competing in the East, contending in the East, or is Jabari Parker miraculously going to have one of the best comeback stories and the last you know in sports in a very long time i mean i would probably weigh uh towards the former than the latter um but you know chances are (laughs) it's gonna be somewhere in between and people are gonna be unhappy with uh the bucks and the jabari situation regardless no matter what side of the fence that they sit on so yeah, um, basically nothing is actually championship or bust because both of those things are difficult to do. It's difficult to be the best or the worst. You're generally yeah. in the middle. I mean, if books the fans don't book know, <laughs> I don't know who can. But that's the Milwaukee book story is, I mean, perfectly in the middle of the middle. But yeah, exactly. even if you're good... Move over, Patricia Heaton. <laughs> even if you're good, you could still be at the top end of that middle tier. The mean world. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if we're helping ourselves with that one. I think part of that is, and the argument is, you know, without Jabari, the books put themselves in a position that's closer to treading water with what they need to achieve to keep Giannis. I just think bringing Jabari back could have been the thing that drowned them. 
<laughs> and that's yeah. that's that's ultimately where we're at. It's like, okay, they're gonna tread water. You know, if you're alive, if you're breeding, you've got a chance. Where yeah. the risk of it all falling apart the other way was just a little too great. Okay, Jordan, that does it. We're never going to talk about Jabari Parker again, I'm sure. I doubt anyone's ever going to ask us questions. We'll ever have reason to revisit this day. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. I want to wish Jabari Parker, not that he's listening, but I want to wish him the very, very best of luck. I hope he has a really long and successful career. I hope he's a star in the NBA. And honestly, that doesn't bother me. I don't feel like... It's something books on should be looking at me like, look at this guy. He's not going to be Giannis, right? <laughs> He's not going to be Giannis. I don't know if he could be Chris Middleton. Be Chris Middleton. Right. So I hope he has a long, successful career. I hope he makes a lot of money, and I will root for him. I will enjoy watching him wherever he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look forward to – you know, the bad thing about this is the Bulls, they, they play the Bulls in preseason a lot. They can't have his homecoming game be in preseason. Maybe it would be too fitting in some ways. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, that's for another day. <laughs> it's the sort of thing Jordan pretends not to care about now, but Jordan cares a lot about when it actually comes around. That's all for another day. Um, thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks, Jabari, for the content. <laughs> <laughs> of the life of the podcast. We will be back. I'm not going to say when. I'm going to roughly pencil us in for after the books claimed their summer league championship although by the time a lot of you listen to this that may be outdated um it's unlikely but it may be outdated we'll be back soon to touch on all of that to look back on summer league that's probably next up barring some blockbuster minimum signing for the books until then make sure you check out all of our work on behindthebookpass.com we haven't got a whole lot of reaction up on the whole jabari thing yet um you know, we have lives sometimes, but it is coming. Trust me on that. There'll be some stuff on Sunday, definitely some stuff on Monday, probably beyond that into the week and forever. We will be talking about it. So we'll have all sorts of opinions and analysis of the move and what it means there. Um, also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Fossil SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, Favorites, and Tune in Radio. And don't forget those five star ratings on iTunes. Five-star ratings, good reviews. Otherwise, just ignore that part. James Cameron. (laughs) Thanks to all of you for listening. All back. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.